Hey everyone, welcome to FreightWaves Live at Home. My name is Trey Griggs, I'm with Lean Solutions Group, and I'm excited to be uh, having a fireside chat today with my good friend, Dan Kopp of ITG Transportation Services. Today we're gonna be talking about navigating uncharted territory in the transportation industry. Dan, thanks so much for joining today. Happy to do it, Trey. Well, you of all people know what it's like to um, navigate uncharted territory, to be in some some waters you're not familiar with. Uh, you recently became the CEO at ITG Transportation. How's that trans How's that transition going? Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I took over on uh, January first of 2020, and so ours is a family business. I've been working with my dad for uh, for for years, and. Uh, you know, we'd, uh, we'd, we'd grown the company pretty significantly over, uh, over the past few years and uh, January 1, 2020 seemed the right time to, uh, to kick off the transition uh, without a clue about what was coming. And so, uh, we had just come out of the ups and downs of the, uh, the, the trade war. And so it really impacted the international freight quite a bit. And so we thought, all right, 2020 is a great year for us to, uh, to smooth things out. Hopefully nothing, uh, Nothing, nothing big gets in the way. And uh, you know, a couple months later, we were in the process of, 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 of shutting it all down, sending everybody home. So it was a, uh, it was, it was a, it was a quick learning curve. And so, so you I, jinxed it is what you're saying real quick. Like you, you actually said, let's smooth things out, make everything go great. And then there we go. Oh, Trey, no, no, no joke. My, my first, uh, my first purchase as a CEO of the company for 2020 was a membership to the United Club, figuring I would be spending so much time uh, at the airport. And I decided to treat myself and, uh, and, and that card quickly collected dust. I can imagine. I can imagine. So what are some of the things that, you know, you learned going through the pandemic? We'll just talk about leadership just a little bit, moving into a new role with the same company, same industry, but a definitely a new role. What are some of those lessons you learned right away about, you know, navigating uncharted territory? So for us, um, you know, if we, if we look at the core values of ITG, the first one is that we're a family business. I mean, you know, not only family and ownership, but we, we want to make sure we treat our folks like family. We we get together, we have great events, we have a good social time, we we, we really get to know our employees, um, and, and that disappeared immediately. And so it was then learning to use technology to maintain personal relationships with the staff. And so we would have uh, monthly conversations with uh, with the entirety of the company, bring them in, talk about where we were. Um, we actually would have conversations about how things looked on the P&L. I mean, because if there were, you know, as, as the pandemic wore on at the you know, first early months, there were changes we had to make as a company, things we had, decisions we had to make. And I want to make sure that the staff was well aware of why we were doing this. And so we would basically open up the P&L to, to the company and have a conversation about where our expenses were high, where we were low, what we were looking and projecting. Um, and I think that was hopefully good for the staff. I mean, the feedback was good as far as the information. Um, and then what we did was pivoted over to, rather than doing you know, large company meetings, um, we do one-on-ones. And so I try to schedule five to six one-on-ones with staff. And so we've got a group of uh, 130. And so I've almost made my way through the list of, uh, of, of all of ITG just to check on people, find out what they need, how we can be helpful, how they're feeling. Uh, we have a tremendous HR department here at ITG who keeps an eye on folks. But to really sit down and know what they're experiencing has, uh, has, has made a lot of difference in terms of the relationship with the staff and where we've, uh, where we've gone this year. Had you ever opened up your P&L to your, your company, to your entire staff before? And was there was there kind of uh, some some nervous energy about doing that? There was. I mean, you know, we're a private company, so we didn't necessarily have to do this. But I think that we wanted to to get buy in from the organization for the direction that we were going and also to help decision making process internally. So we would uh, we would talk to the company, you know, we'd say, you know, it's, it's challenging to make a dollar. 
you can see what it is that ITG we have to do to, to make a dollar and what decisions impact that dollar, right? If we take a loss or if we find a carrier who's a little more expensive or try to buy down, you know, so there were a lot of things we put in place. It wasn't about, um, you know, impressing upon them the, the, the P&L. It was just a function of the health of the organization so they can see how we're doing and they can take ownership in the direction that we're going and see the ups and see the downs and that the decisions that are coming down from management are based on based on numbers, not just based on, you know, that there's some transparency in that process. So you opened up your P&L, which was probably a little nerve wracking. You started mm -hmm. doing more one-on-one -on -one meetings. You started using technology that you hadn't used before. I'm sure there were some other things that you'd done for the first time. What are some things that you did that are probably going to last, that you're going to continue long after, maybe some silver linings of all of this that are making your company better? So I think that, um, you know, we have, uh, even prior to the pandemic, we we're actually sort of well situated for this. Um, you know, we had, uh, um, as we grow, we grew quickly from 2013 to 2018, and we actually set up an environment so we could allow staff to work from home a couple of days a week. And in fact, we would actually shut down all of our offices on Friday. So we called that the Friday initiative. So people rotate in, rotate out, and then we shut it down. And so as offices are talking about what a return to normal looks like, and we already have that model already in place. So, hey, you know, we've been very successful with people working remotely. We have a very, our staff is accountable. Um, and they're, you know, they're showing that they can, they can handle significant volumes without being in the office. Um, but I think that uh, bringing them back is going to be important. And so I think it's looking at saying, okay, you know, we've proven that we can do this without being together um, and just doing, uh, bringing people back. Yeah. Let me, let me hold on. <laughs> so your question was, you know, what, what's going to stay from the pandemic? Right. Yeah. yeah okay. what, what, what are, what are some new things that, uh, that are kind of silver linings that are actually going to stick around? Yeah. Okay. So the silver lining is it will anticipate sticking around. Um, one, I think we have a whole lot more communication as a group, formal communication. You know, we'd, we'd get the team together, get opinions, do surveys, get feedback from the staff. Um, one of the things that I that I always like to say during meetings is that if I don't, if you don't tell me what's going on, I may never know, right? So whether it be personal or whether it be business, I'm a, I'm a terrible mind reader in person. Um, but I think I'm even worse remotely. And so the, the, the direct staff engagement, let's get their feedback, whether it be in small groups, whether it be one-on-one, -on -one, whether it be surveys. And, and we've acted on, on a lot of that. And not everything we're going to be able to, 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 to implement or move forward. But I think we've been able to, uh, to, to really get feedback from the team that has helped, uh, helped us navigate in the past, uh, over the past year. And a lot of some of our best ideas have come from desk-level operators because they're they're the ones on the ground. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't have gotten that feedback if we didn't actually ask for it because we're not in person. Yeah. So it sounds like obviously the, the uncharted waters of, of COVID-19 crisis, the pandemic has caused companies like yours to do things differently. It sounds like there's a lot of really positives that came out of that. And I want to ask you about our, our industry in general now, transportation, and kind of move sure. into that just a little bit, because that's where you live every day. You guys, you know, really specialize in ocean cargo and drayage and and uh, almost the, not the beginning of the supply chain, but pretty close to the beginning of the supply chain, especially when it comes to exports and imports sure. and products being moved all across the world. Um, so one question I want to ask you, and I want you to think about it in a, for a little bit, and then I'm going to ask you a second question is, I want you to tell us in a minute. What are some of the biggest kind of shocks that you've experienced in this marketplace versus others? So think about that one for a minute while we talk about um, a little bit about, about what you see on the ocean cargo side 
and you know the current state, you know, ports that are being delayed. Obviously, the Suez Canal issue happened. Um, shelves being, you know, just um, trying to be replenished because they just got wiped out at the beginning, and the restocking that's going on. Talk a little bit about what you're seeing from your vantage point when it comes to ocean cargo and drayage in our industry. Sure. So to to answer your first question, uh, the biggest shock as I sit down and talk to uh, to our to our team is the number of times that they're all having to touch a file over the past couple of years or the past over the past years. Cause what we're seeing is, you know, on the export side, um, you know, changes in scheduling, earliest return dates for, for are, are, are changing. Um, you can't get appointments to get back into terminals. So what otherwise would be, maybe you touch a file four or five times over the course of his life. They're jumping in, especially on the export side, 10, 15 times that they're actually having to do something because of schedule changes or because of, you know, uh, freight's not available. There's no equipment. There's only a finite number of chassis on the planet, right? So you can bring in all the containers you want, but if there's not a, if there's not a chassis to put it on, that box is going to sit. And so what we found is that, you know, even if our volumes were to stay exactly the same, the amount of work that's required for each file has grown significantly. And, um, and so compound that then with increasing volumes, um, our operators are doing a phenomenal job, um, but are having to just do significantly more work on, on files that otherwise would be fairly simple. And then, I think that's, let me touch on that for just a minute. Do you think yeah. that that is more industry-wide or, or worldwide? Because it you know, seems like all the things that we kind of took for granted, the things that, that just seem to flow really smoothly aren't flowing as smoothly anymore. Um, we've heard some of the investors like Warren Buffett and some of the others say the supply chain is an absolute mess right now. I mean, is that something that you think everybody in the industry is dealing with? And what's the best way to handle that when your process really gets you know, thrown upside down? So I think that I, I don't know that there's anybody I've talked to in the, in the industry that said they're going through smooth sailing right now. I mean, whether it be driver shortages, whether it be, you know, increased rates, whether, you know, we're, we're, we, we spent a period of time where, you know, we were challenged by freight, by, by rates that we'd, uh, we'd, we'd give it to customers when volumes were so low. Right. And everybody's, you know, begging to get to get freight. So you quote this stuff pretty low. And then all of a sudden it comes in in the middle of the, you know, a middle of a, a surge. And so well, I got to try to honor the rate. I got everybody's got challenges uh, left and right. right? And, and, and so as we look at trying to, to to navigate the process and the things we're doing, I think the, the, the one thing we need to that we press upon our staff is honesty. I mean, you just you make sure you have to deliver the honest message to the customer about what's going on, why it's happening. Educate your customers because if we can educate your customers about what's going on, they will also educate uh, their customers. That we're, we're fortunate in that now there's more literature than ever about what's going on in the international supply chain. You know whether it's uh, you know plug for freight waves, but they've got they've got great great information that we've been able to share with customers. So it's almost uh, a rarity when we can come across someone who's unaware of what's going on, it doesn't change the frustration. But I think if you can have, you know, honestly educate your customers about what's going on, provide backup as to why, and then just be patient as they get feedback from their customers and, you know, they educate all the way through the process. It simplifies it a little bit, um, but it's still, it's still a challenge for, for everyone everywhere. So Dan, you spend most of your time, your company, you guys spend most of your time in, in you know, the ocean uh, cargo and transit times across, uh, across the, the seas, as well as drayage. What are some of the biggest challenges that you experience on a day-to-day basis being in that part of the supply chain? There are a lot of delays, Trey. 
I mean, as we talk to talk to our carriers, we talk to our customers. You know, we get uh, we get notifications all the time. Whether it's an inability for a, a carrier to get an appointment to go into a terminal to even to even get a container, or you know, to to return a loaded container to return an empty, um, the, the the backlogs are 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 just are just are just crazy. I mean, we have a uh, just a couple of days ago, we had a carrier send us a picture of uh, him waiting in line at the NS Landers in Chicago. Ten blocks long was the uh, was the line. They're waiting in line for for five hours just to return that uh, just to return a container. And so that's that's normally an area you don't expect that in certain ports. Everybody knows that you know New Jersey's challenging right now. Long Beach has had struggles, but when you start getting some of the the, the inland rails um, backed up in markets like Chicago, it can really cause a mess for for everybody. And so then if you're looking at that carrier who is spending five hours in line to return a box, that's going to mess up their hours available for tomorrow. That's going to change, uh, you know. We, then we, you know, they're they're not going to be able to pull something that you know they otherwise have got schedules. And there's a ripple effect uh, down downstream. And so to recover from that, um, you know, normally if there's a, if there's you know, a carrier drops a drops a loader has to give one back to you, there's somebody else out there, right, that you can go give it to. But you know, we we provide our customers with availability reports on a daily basis. And some markets were looking weeks out, and so the the, the recovery process of a, of a misload is 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 incredibly challenging right now. And I think that that is, um, you know, probably the biggest hurdle our operators are are coming across. What's the current backlog? You know, of of you know, we have, we see these ships that are out um, at anchor, and you know, are, are just waiting to get into the port. And as you said, sometimes it doesn't even matter because if there aren't chassis to move the boxes, it doesn't matter if they get into port or not. I mean, what is the what is the overall delay? Like, what would you say would kind of be the average delay of products actually getting over here from when they normally would be? Are we a month delayed? Are we three months delayed? Six months delayed? What's your best assessment based on what you've seen? That's a that's a that's a great question, and I would actually have to probably answer that one. You know, push that off to someone who actually you know does vessel scheduling. Um, but what I can what I'll tell you is that you know if we look at our our market nationally, you know, and if we're to say, okay, if a customer comes to us, say on average, if we send you a work order today, you know, it could be a week or two before we have availability to cover something. And so what we're finding is that carriers or customers on the on the freight forwarding side are sending orders earlier and earlier and earlier on the import side. And then what they're doing is they're looking at our, our availability report saying, okay, here's your students availability for an export in, out of Memphis, for example. Well, then they'll book their ocean freight based on the trucking availability, so they know they can get that box loaded and returned. But then again, there's no guarantee that those that that vessel schedule holds, um, and so you'll see, you know, that, that presenting another challenge. But I think that you know it's it's you know weeks in some markets before you can find a uh, an available truck. Wow, that's uh, it's unbelievable to think about the ripple effect that's happening in that regard and what that means for uh, you know someone in your position who's really kind of trying to navigate and work through all of these different channels. Uh, to make sure your customers are satisfied and, and getting what they need when they need it. Um, I think about, you know, the restocking of shelves. I think about, um, you know, the like the home prices right now, how wood has just gone through the roof and how you know short we are on wood and things like that. I'm not sure when the end is in sight. If you were if you were trying to, trying to predict something, I'm going to put you on the spot too much. But if you're trying to predict when things kind of come back to normal, I think we started this at the pandemic. Like I remember thinking, okay, I'm, in three months, we should be good. Six months, we should be good. I had a friend say it's going to be more than a year. And he was right on. What are your thoughts on this when you look at the market and the, the shape that it's in, the supply chain? What's your best guess on when this is going to resemble, you know, late 2019, for example? 
So I would actually, um, I don't know that I wanted to get back to the late 2019 because that was sort of the, uh, you know, the the, the midst of the, uh, the the trade war. So let's go to like a 2018 maybe um, when we were, you know, when, but I, I think that we're going to, we'll be, we'll be this busy through 2021. Uh, this will go into 2022 because I mean, we're looking at, you know, we're, we're in May right now. We're a couple months out from what is then traditionally peak season in, in ocean freight. Um, but not only do we have those increased volumes now, the backlogs, you know, there's there's pent up freight in uh, overseas that still needs to, to make its way over this delayed. But not, there's also been, you know, $1.9 trillion unleashed on the U.S. economy uh, most recently. And I think that once that spending starts, um, you know, it's going to be it's going to be uh, it, I don't want to say unmanageable, but it's going to be there's, there's it's going to continue like this for 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 quite some time. And we're we're bullish on uh, on, on at least the rest of the year uh, on our side. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing as well. I think, you know, I, I, I do a poll every every Friday with uh, some people in the industry just talking about the status of that. And most people are putting it into 2022, just like you are. So I would I would imagine that, you know, rates aren't going to come down. Capacity is not going to loosen. That's going to really change probably until 2022. And who knows what's going to happen between now and then. No, but as as a result, we are um, you know we're we're actively hiring. I think that uh, you know we want to make sure that we say yes to to as many opportunities as we responsibly can. But we also don't want to overwhelm our staff. I mean, they're doing they're doing phenomenal work, uh, putting in extra hours, and so we want to make sure we give them the resources we possibly can. So whether it's a combination of you know strategic domestic domestic hiring, uh, staff augmentation with our uh, with our friends over at Lean, um, or automation where we uh, where where we can can apply that, I think that uh, that three header approach is is our direction for the rest of the year and we're doing that because again we're we're confident that uh we'll be busy for uh for the for the foreseeable future yeah and i think that brings up a really good point about about how to staff for this because you know i think when the pandemic started there was a question about you know should we keep hiring you know should we pause should we let some people go what's this going to be like moving forward and i think it's 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 pretty easy to say that like we said this isn't going to slow down for a while and so how does that impact your staffing needs and, and what that looks like moving forward? I think that, like you said earlier, the more touch points that you have on one shipment, it just that alone requires uh, more hands on deck. The more calls you need to make to find a truck now, because it's not easy to find capacity, requires more people in that regard. You guys have taken the approach. You're going to continue to grow and continue to hire. What's the risk in that? Is there a risk in uh, in hiring too much right now? Or do you feel like this is the time where... Any company who's doing the right things is pretty much, you know, on a, on a hiring spree. I mean, there's always a risk, right? Um, you know, if if you're if you're hiring for an urgent need, you want to make sure you still want to make sure you're thorough in the in the, in the people that you're bringing in. Um, and we talk about it all the time, because I mean, we unfortunately have had to had to let people go over the past couple of years, and we don't want to get ourselves in a situation where we're overextended. You know, so I think that we were a little bit. Um, hesitant at the beginning to find, you know, to, to, to bring on more people, um, just because we weren't sure what this would look like. And then we quickly had to had to catch up. We also want to make sure that we had the training infrastructure in place. I mean, it was one thing to send people to work remotely from home, but then to say we're going to spin up a class of four or five new people. Oh, and by the way, here you go. You get to train four people over Zoom, um, you know, you know at, the, at the same time. So we've got there, there are challenges with that. And our, our team's done phenomenally well. But I think that, um, you know, we have our 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 hiring strategy then has really been to try to take off of our operators desks rather than say oh we're going to spin up a brand new a brand new new desk let's try to take things off of our operators desks that allow them to to allow our experts to handle more freights um and and we've been successful in that process with the uh with with our with our hiring 
Yeah, and certainly the challenges of uh, training, onboarding uh, virtually over Zoom and and uh, doing all those things. We've experienced that as well, as you know, of, you know, how do we bring on new clients when we can't even bring people to the office or they can't come down to Columbia to visit, which is a very normal thing for, for what we're doing there. So we definitely understand that pain. Um, had to learn some new process in that as well. And uh, again, appreciate, you know, customers like you that uh, that help us, you know, figure those things out and walk through that with us. So we definitely appreciate that. Speaking of virtual, um, you know, we're still in virtual meetings like we are right now with Freightways Live at Home. There's a few more that are that are coming up soon that are virtual as well. But hopefully uh, with with uh, the future of freight, uh, with, with F3 coming up in November, we can get back to seeing each other again. I honestly cannot wait. Uh, to be back where we can shake hands and and uh, be with friends again. So I'm really looking forward to that, as I'm sure you are as well. Absolutely, absolutely. I think uh, when they when they announced that it was live, um, it was it, it wasn't a question of uh, of of you know whether or not we we're going to join that. We're going to jump at the opportunity to uh, to get back engaged and, and see folks. Yeah, and I know that Craig's calling for like twelve thousand of this thing, but I'm telling you, there's not that many hotel rooms in the area, so you better get your room quick. Make sure that you have a place to stay for this, because I imagine everybody who's been wanting to get together is going to be attending. It's going to be a great time, and I'm personally hoping for a band. I'm hoping for the F3 band, so we'll see what happens with that. But um, it's going to be a tremendous time uh, together. But either way, you know, excited to be with you, Dan, and to, to to hear more about what you're doing. One last question for you: We didn't talk about the drage side too much. Tell me some of the biggest impacts just on the drage side, what you guys are doing to, uh, you know, to mitigate some of those issues that you're ex- experiencing on the, on the drage side of business. Yeah. So we, um, we've, we've allocated resources to simply identifying capacity, right? We've got, we've got folks who all day long is their, their job. Number one is just get on the phone, not even to secure freights for that one, just identify where the capacity is and where it isn't. So we can make determinations based on markets. So, you know, we'll have the spreadsheet run. So, okay, here's where we are in Memphis and here's what we can do. There are scenarios where we might be able to, to cover sooner than our published availability, but it keeps us from spinning our wheels, right? I think the one thing that, that our customers want is a definitive answer. Yes or no. Can you do this? Yes or no. If you do, if yes, then yes, you, you're expected to do it. But I think they also appreciate the honesty of no, we don't have coverage for this. And I think by identifying that internally, we're spinning less wheels, um, calling the same people over and over who've already answered a question about their about about their capacity. Um, and so that was a big one. And then on the as well as uh, we're working on integrations. Right. I mean, part of the, the biggest headache that, that our that our staff is identifying is just the emails back and forth. Right. And so if we can integrate with our carriers that we're working with, we can integrate with customers and then manage by exception. It's not perfect, but that is something that we've um, we've 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 really worked hard to, uh, to 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 spin up in the past even a couple of years with with tremendous success. And I think that that that's the future of where of where we're going to be going. How much have you added to your staff percent wise on that? You know, just dedicated to care relationships, care capacity and sourcing capacity. What's that what's that change been? So we've added, I'd say, two or three people whose whose pure responsibility is to 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 to, to find capacity in a market. And you know, we're we're trying to find even more creative ways to to get in touch with with our carriers, right? I mean, they're they're insanely busy. Their their you know their their job is to to move the containers, not to answer our perpetual emails to tell us tell us when the availability is. So we want to be creative, whether it be here's a survey, click this button, take this phone call, what whatever it is. We're finding that you know per carrier, and so um, you know whether it's a combination of resources and creativity uh we've been able to uh to to get a a decent handle on uh on 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 capacity in the market 
Well, I'm sure that that's only going to become more challenging uh, over the next probably six to eight months. But it sounds like you've got uh, you know a good uh, plan of attack to to handle that. And really appreciate you being on today with us for this fireside chat at Freightways Live at Home Dan. So thank you so much for your time. And for everyone else out there, stay tuned for more great fireside chats and great content at Freightways Live at Home. Hey, thanks a lot, Trey.